Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Hello, everyone. Good to see you all. Good to be back. I was uh, absent last week. I finally fell victim to the plague. Um, I, uh, yeah, I had a, a week of, of, of COVID. And thank God it was, uh, you know, we're, uh, all of us who, who get it now and don't suffer as, as greatly are, are grateful for the whole process of uh, vaccines and variations and you know um though of course some still still suffer greatly so uh, so our, our learning for as it has been for a long time is uh is in 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 directed towards uh towards healing trying to trying to create good energy and healing in the world um so it's good to be back i'm uh, sorry to miss uh parshat balak one of the great adventures in reading the torah parshat balak um but uh but we'll come back to it next year because that, that's that's the advantage we have here. Um, I see it's a, a little bit of a smaller group today. Probably folks not sure if uh, we we're back on, which is great. That means there's just more opportunity to share and and talk. So feel if you don't usually step up and there's a you know smaller crowd here, feel free to to, to jump in. I'd lo love it, love to um, take advantage of that 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 little bit more intimacy. Um, Okay, so I, I've been thinking about uh, this uh, this uh, this um, project I set for myself on my mom's seventy uh, fifth birthday, which was just in in November. So seventy fifth birthday, and uh, she, what what I did was I I I, I would actually the truth is her mother was born I, I knew somewhere in in, in Southern California. And I wondered if I could track down where was her mother born? Where, where exactly do we come from on that side of the family? And, um, and what I did was I started looking through um, records and uh, thank God for the Mormons. The Mormons keep great records, death, birth certificates and, and, and census records. A little, it's a little creepy because you know they have their, uh, their religious agenda for doing so, but God bless them. They definitely um, keep better records of my family than than I do, 
And, uh, and so I was able to find my grandmother's name and then just start looking through, um, through the, it was the census in particular, a couple of uh, census records. There was actually, there were actually three altogether. And from one of them, actually from a scribble on the side of the paper, I was able to figure out where um, my grandmother had lived when she was, you know, a, a teenager. And we took my mom to that house and my mom recognized the house. And it was just like a tremendous, tremendous thing. It was, it was great, but thank God for the census. Thank God for the census. And I do, I, I wanna give some credit to the Torah um, because I do think that the Torah, one of the things that the Torah teaches us is how to read a census. Um, it's not, it's maybe not the most exciting thing that the Torah does, but the Torah does do that. And, um, and so I, I felt I was a keen reader of these, um, these records because of my reading of the Torah. So, and just to give you one other example, because um, what you have to do when you read a census and what we'll do today, and this is not just telling the story for, for no reason, what we'll do today is try to spot, try to, to spot deviations from the pattern. The census is just a record and the information there is in itself valuable, but it's also the way the information is presented and sometimes the deviation. So for example, one of the things I noticed is that in the first census that took account of my grandmother, she was in the household of her father. In the second census that took account of my grandmother, she was in the household of her mother because her father had deadbeat dad, had run away, had skipped town. Right? So her mother was now the householder. And then in the third census that took account of my grandmother, she was in the household of her husband. Right? Which was just like, what a thing to see just in, in, in records without like, you without, without like an, any overlay of ideology, but just like there in the record, the way that, you know, a, the only version of a woman running a house that, the, that the, the state could recognize is if the man had taken off, you know what I mean? So that was like, that was the only way you were actually, because otherwise you were a daughter in someone else's house or a wife in someone else's house. So that was fascinating as well. It's reading the census, reading the census. So um, that's what we're going to do today because the Torah is um, interested in, in reading, in, in taking and, and, and reading a census. The Torah does so three, I keep uh, circling around trying to say the plural. Is it sensi? Is it censuses? I'm not sure. Um, but um, but the, the Torah takes um, three sensi, three, um, three countings, and... Um, that in itself is, is, is quite striking. Um, one of them is back in the book of Exodus. And one of them is at the beginning of the book of Numbers. That's how the book of Numbers gets its name. And one of them, and I think actually the most interesting, I mean, the most interesting of the boring things um, that we call a, a census um, is in this week's Parsha. And that's part of what I uh, want to do with you today is to, to, is to see what's not boring about a census be, by looking for the deviations. And in this census in particular, there are lots of little, um, lots of little stories hidden in this, in this nation. Lots of little stories, not just, uh, not just by, 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 uh, by noticing patterns and deviations, but also in this case, the census almost interrupts itself to tell little stories. So, 
So, uh, so there's, there's this census, this census wants us to, to dig a little deeper. And that's what we're going to do today. All right. So let's, uh, let's say a blessing over our, um, over our learning this morning. Um, a blessing over the, the study of Torah. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kishanu v'mitzvotav etzivanu la'asok v'divrei Torah. Okay. All right. Um, let me see here now. Oh, and you know, before we get started, before we get started today, I think I see Kate Silberstein just sitting down. Is that right? Do, do we have Kate in, in, in the house? Do we have Kate in the house? I just want to give a shout out. Is Kate Silberstein's birthday to, today, I believe? Is it your birthday? Yes. Is it yes, your birthday it today? Birthday. Yes. Just want to give a huge shout out to Kate, regular member of our group. And, uh, and a good, dear friend to, to me and to this whole community, uh, Kate, who is just um, such a dear, Kate, who I've gotten into like screaming fights with and who I've like hugged with tears in my eyes. Kate's like the full spectrum of a, of a full and beautiful human being. And, uh, and, and among uh, the, the contributions that Kate, Kate brings to our community, she's an, a tireless, um, a chesed representative. She gives so, so much. Anytime anyone is in any kind of suffering in our community, Kate steps up and she's right there delivering food, asking how they are. That's, Kate is, is like at the, at the vanguard of that energy, which means so much to our community. And I know also that, uh, you know, I've, we, we've celebrated Kate and Matt in this group before, both regular members here. And they have such an incredible relationship. I, I just, I stand in admiration of it always. But we know that Matt is also um, going through a health journey. Um, and we've been praying for Matt in this group as well. And there's no, there's no, no medicine uh, greater for, for Matt a, a, in, in health or in sickness than Kate's presence. Kate is just, Kate suffers along with Matt. I know that too, but also is such a healing force to Matt. And Matt's so lucky to have such a, the healing force of our community in his own in his own living room. So just happy birthday to, to you, Kate. We're so grateful to have you in this community and in our, in our learning together. Happy birthday. Thank you so much. Thank you. Love Thank to you, Kate. Love to you. Thank you so okay. much. Okay. Oh, love to you. All right. Um, let's get started. We're going to take a look at the census. And um, the census um, begins a little bit into this week's Parsha. And I actually, I just want to give us a little context. Let me give you the the source sheet that we're going to be looking at today. I want to give you a little bit of context by just backing it. We didn't look at last week's Parsha, so we're going to be what they say, we're going to be Yotze. We're going to get credit for touching last week's Parsha. Um, we didn't gather last week, so we're going to get some credit for touching last week's Parsha by taking a look at just the last lines of last week's Parsha, because it's important. This census that we're going to look at picks up on those last lines of last week's Parsha. Last week's Parsha was this incredible, fantastic interruption in the main narrative where we followed the story of King Balak and the prophet Bilam that King Balak hires to, to curse Israel. And so it's a total interruption from the Torah. It's like a, it's just like a kind of a remarkable side story, very unusual for the Torah's telling. And then just at the end of last week's Parsha, we get back to the action in Israel but the action, it turns out, is related to what's been going on because Israel is in the land of Moab and um, we find them when we break from, this, from that interruption, we, get, we come back into the story of Israel and we find them in a mass frenzy um, 
which is both sexual and idolatrous. They are whoring with the Moabite women who then invite them to offer sacrifices to their gods. So it's like, and the Torah loves to play with this, like the, the cheating on God and, the, and sexual immorality are all kind of one, one thing, idolatry and fidelity, right? So that's, that's like the mass frenzy that's going on at the end of the Torah. And then, and this is actually important for the, the, this week's, uh, the name of this week's Parsha. And then um, it, it becomes ex- especially uh, 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 confrontational when uh, one of the Israelite men brings a Midianite woman over to the tent of meeting and presumably starts making love there in front of, uh, I don't know if you would even use so lofty a term, in front of the tent of meeting. And uh, uh, everybody's shocked. And then Pinchas for whom this week's Parsha's name famously runs over and stabs the both of them through the, well, through the what? It's, yeah, that's, there's a euphemism there too, okay? So anyway, so this is where we are at the, the horror story at the end of last week's. There it is. The Israelite man came over and brought a Midianite woman over to his companions in the sight of Moses and the whole Israelite community who were weeping. They were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And then, oh, what a terrible, I hate Phineas, right? Sounds like an English nobleman. Pinchas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, and he left the assembly, and he took a spear in his hand, and he, he followed them into the chamber and stabbed them both through the belly, okay? Okay. Um, and then the plague was checked, and these are the last lines of last week's Parsha. Those who died of the plague numbered 24,000. 24,000. Okay, so they're, they're apparently that, like when the plague starts, we don't know, but it's some sort of response to this terrible, you know, people rebelling against God, God's getting angry. And um, Pinchas somehow stops the, stops the plague. He knows what to do by creating a kind of counter display of violence. And then the plague is over, but the last line of the Parsha is that those who died in the plague were 24,000. We've seen mass death in, uh, in our story before, um, but this is, this is a very big number, 24,000. Um, and, and, and it's with that ec- kind of echoing in your ear that I wanna take you to look at the plague because this plague, it, once you see that, and then, then, you, then you, you recognize that this plague is casting itself in a very particular um, theme. So let's take a look at that now. Because um, our Parsha, so I'm going to just do this, one, do one more little technical thing here, just to show you where we were. Oh, there they are. They're in the tent of meeting. And there's, they died in the, in the plague. And there's Pinchas, the new Parsha. But the beginning of the Parsha is a kind of honoring of Pinchas for it, it, you know, for 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 um, for his zealousness, and we could have a whole class on that for sure. Not everybody's so comfortable with this. Like, hooray for Pinchas! Uh, he killed these people. That was so nice of him. But he is nevertheless honored. And then that's the beginning of Parsha Pinchas. And then we get to chapter twenty-six. And here's where I want to take us in today, because chapter twenty-six begins in, in a very interesting way. Okay, so here's chapter 26. And it begins like this. 
ויהי אחרי המגפה. And so it was after the plague. So it was after the plague. When the plague was over, they translated here. And so it was after the plague. Now, I'm going to make a big deal of these words, but it's not me making the big deal. You, you, you can see here that there's this little um, symbol, the pay here. What is this little symbol doing here? Some of you may know. That symbol, there's one here too, is the symbol that this, you know, uh, printed editions of the Torah use to tell us that in the written scroll of the Torah, there is a tradition now to start a new paragraph. So think of it as P for paragraph. It actually is P for petucha, open. It's, there's an open space here. There are two kinds of spaces in the Torah, stuma and petucha, and this one's open. So, uh, so after these three words, when the plague was over, after the plague, um, there's a, there's a, there's a, by tradition, we write in the Torah a kind of blank space and start a new paragraph. Now, what's interesting about that is, first of all, as you can hear, um, that's not a full sentence when the plague was over. And indeed, it takes place in the middle of a verse. And that is very unusual, okay? Just, this is the writing tradition. How do we write our Torah? It is very unusual to create a paragraph break in the middle of a verse. Here's verse one, here's verse two, and there's like a paragraph break in the middle. Now, why am I making such a big deal of that? Because what that serves to do is to hang these words almost like a, 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 a koteret, a title, to hang them above the plague. So the plague begins like this. The Eternal said to Moses and to Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, take a census of the whole Israelite company of fighters. This is, as most plagues are, seems to be about, oh, we're going to, we're going to need to know how many fighters we have for battle. So from the age of 20 years up by their ancestral homes, all Israelite males able to bear arms. Seems like a military plague, but that's very standard language for a plague. But what, what I want to focus on instead today is the way that this is the introduction to the plague and is going to, I want to suggest, create a kind of theme for the plague. In other words, this is the, I'm sorry, a theme for the census. In other words, this is the census. I'll just put it in plain English. This is the census, says the Torah, that we took after the plague. This is the census that we took after the plague. And that phrase, after the plague, God, that's a phrase that feels awfully resonant. I mean, I'm literally one week after my own plague. Right. And we're in this era that's a little bit like in the sort of the aftermath, the continuing aftermath of of the plague. Right. Like the, these things, a plague is now a, a much that's a that's a much uh, more a fully charged word for us. Right. After this, this, uh, this, this era of of Corona virus. So let's start there. Why do you take a plague after a census? Why do you take a plague after a census? Wait, do you mean why do you take a census after a plague? Yeah, so I keep flipping them. Yeah, yeah. Are you ready to answer that as well? No. Thank you then for the correction. Why do you take a census after a plague? Yeah, Richard. 
Uh, we can't hear you, Richard. Still can't hear you, Richard. Issue today? Oh, to now see, we hear you. Okay. To see. No. Uh, well, you're in and out, Richard. Can't hear you again. I'm afraid. I don't know what's wrong. I'm going to turn to Matt. Okay. Um, well, I think now it's just very clear. There's chaos. You know, there we it sweeps through and families are broken and tribal connections are broken and there's a dispersed people and, and people are separated and it, you know and under this people get go out of the the um <laughs> I that's whacking people um are stepping out of the tent and out of the group so you get them together to know who's left. Good. Just, where are we? Good, good, good. Okay, good. So Matt gives us, as as usual, of kind of a, a fuller and textured version of of the what might be this the simple answer. Simple answer is what do you mean? A lot of people just died. Let's take account of how many people are left, well, right? Is. But Matt says it's more than that. It's like there has been chaos and destruction. That's we are in the wake of of disaster, death, and disaster. And we have to take stop, we have to reorder this society. A census is inevitably, and we know this from our own census, it's always sold as, if you know, to try to get people to take, it's always sold as, we need this information for a well-functioning society. And by saying this, that, we're saying, right now we don't have this information. We are not a well-ordered society. So Matt sees it as a kind of um, a response to chaos, a response to 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 the chaos that is that is that is the wake of uh, that is left in the wake of 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 a plague. Okay, Marla, will you add to that? Uh, we can't hear you. Sorry. Um, yeah, I. Yay, Matt. Um, and part B to Matt. I wanted to say I kind of think there's three pragmatic reasons. One. How many people are left to, for us to tax? Two, how many people are left to uh, enter army service? And three, hey, everyone check in. You know, we, we just want to see where everyone is. And, and so therefore a census is kind of a logical start to re, re, rebuilding society. Okay, good. Okay, I like the way that Marla frames it. Like the census is also like a way, a very technical, a very, you know, um, almost bureaucratic, but 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 indeed a way for a society to say, "Hey, what's going on in your family? How, how are you? What's how, how? What's the state of your household?" There's something actually very intimate, very um, delicate about the question. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact. And I feel that when I think about the census records that I looked through, I felt like, oh, like these are people and these were their houses. This is what, and I'm looking for one of my people in here. And I'm, and I'm reading story, you know, in the second, that second census, I could see, oh, the, maybe I knew the history, but somewhere in that census mm -hmm. was encoded a message that the, the father in this house left. There's a tragedy in this house. Right? And the census is, is a little bit of a check-in, as, as Marla said as well. And that, that's important for thinking about this, the way this census is framed after the play. Okay, Regina. 
Um, I, I also see it as um, a need for planning for the future. So what, what do we have left and what, who's here? And you know, what are the needs of society? But something that really poked at me was the census <laughs> from the Holocaust. And uh, I mean, in a, in a different way, you know, that was um, uh, who was gone, you know, the, the, how the Nazis took such a census of the deceased. I mean, that, that's just what popped out at me um, in this discussion. Yeah, yeah, right. Who's left? Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So thank you for returning it back to, you know, we can, we can spin this out, but on some level, the answer is, is pretty stark and, and clear. When the census is framed with the words after the, and it was after the plague that God told them to take a census. So, if you want, so, man, Kate, I think you're unmuted. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No worries. No worries. Your birthday, you can do what you want. Um, that's right. The, the plague on some level is this plague. And, and with this, I want to head into it a little bit. Um, we'll hear from Payan before we do. But this plague is, it's after, it, it's, it's a way of, of, there's a kind of, there's a death ritual here going on as well. It's taking account of those who have been lost, those who have been lost. And that's happening very pointedly and very directly. After the plague, we took a census. And so the plague becomes a kind of a, a looking back, not just the taking stock of what is, but a looking back at what was and what was lost. And I, the, Regina's comment is so helpful because that is actually true, not just for this census, but the first census taken in the Torah is at the end, towards the end of the book of Exodus. And it follows um, another great destruction, the thousands, not 24,000, but thousands who died after the sin of the golden calf, right? There's a census taken there as well. So that actually, oh, that's, this is, this is, it's prominent here, but we might start thinking, that this is actually the one of the Torah's responses to not just preparing for the future, but re responses to a great calamity, a great calamity. And Regina connects it to the great calamity of our age, the Holocaust, in which we, we have such, what is it that we think of when we think of the Holocaust? One of the first things we think of is 6 million. Like we have a number in our, that, that number, just hearing that number, gives us a sense of the devastation that like it's the number itself and it, it creates a kind of a to say out loud this many people were lost that's important too that that's part of what a a census a, an account taking does okay um i want to move a little bit further but i i don't want to leave payam's um thought in the air so payam uh what are you uh what are you noticing here I think we're skipping an important part that God is ordering a census. And the question is, why would an omnipotent being need to order a census? You know, and I think it's to remind them, look, there's only X amount of you left, and I just killed this many of you. Please stop sinning, because every time you guys do these sins, I keep on killing more and more of you. And they're going to go through the records, and they're going to be reminded of, you know, last time we did this, this many people died, this time... But the it's a reminder to them of like, look, stop screwing around. Okay, great. Thanks, Payam. That the both of those, both of those the thoughts you offered are extremely helpful. One that 
let's remember God is God doesn't need a census presumably and uh not just because of like medieval theology God is all-knowing and perfect but also it just does that's not a that's not an item which it seems like oh god oh that's how many there a census is for your benefit and information there's some i'm ordering you to do some to communicate something to yourself and the other thought that Payam um offers us which is uh harsh and uh, and and uh and difficult but important because it will help us unlock some of the some of the the messaging in the in the census is that Look, let's not just move past the fact that the 24,000 that died, it wasn't COVID. It was, that plague was a, was, was a product of God's wrath, which is, that's the way people die en masse in this story. And that's, you know, God is a dangerous for is the dangerous force here. And also the one who, who orders the census. So how do we, how do we negotiate though, that tension? Okay, let's begin to, because what we're going to now do is move into the census, and we will see that the census not only frames itself, and when I say frame, I mean, in this case, literally, three words above the sentence, and it was after the plague, not only frames itself as a kind of a death register, but take a look in the very, it's going to go tribe by tribe, take a look in the very first tribe, the way the census starts in this orderly fashion, how many numbers, how many people, how many, remember it's all fighting soldiers, but then it deviates and tells you a little story. So let's take a look at it, it, something that this census is gonna do a number of times. We're not even gonna take account of them all, but, but we'll, we'll try to string a certain kind of um, interpretive logic through this census, a word I'm having trouble with today. Okay, so there's the census. We're gonna take the census, census and then uh, the first tribe, Reuben, the tribe of Reuben. Reuben, Bechor Yisrael, is the firstborn. Reuben is the firstborn of Israel. Uh, Vnei Reuven and the sons of Reuven. That, now that in itself is a, you might, in terms of pattern spotting, well, that's, that's, gonna, that's not going to be by anyone else's title. So you, little things like that we're looking for. Oh, that's unusual. He's called out as the firstborn. Okay, but fine. That's the first tribe. He's the firstborn. And here are his sons, Hanoch and Palu uh, and um, uh, Chetzron and Carmi. Okay, those are his sons, Reuven's sons. And these form the family, the clans, they call them families of the Reubenites. And the men, the fighting men, right? Because it's, uh, we're, we are taking numbers are 43,000. 43,000. Now, remember, 24,000 died in a plague, right? So this gives you a whole tribe could be 43,000. So that's like more than half this number, right? That's something to think about. Um, born to Palo. Now we start doing a little bit more of the, of the patriarchs, the tribal or the family heads. Born to Palo was Eliav. Eliav was born to Palu. Now, wait a minute, though. This is already strange. What about born to, to Enoch or to Hanoch? We skipped over to the second son and told us that he had a son. And now we're going to that son, the sons of Eliab, were Nimuel and Datan and Aviram. Okay, so there's something strange happening here. You told me Reuben, all of Reuben's sons. Then you skipped to the second son, told me his son, and then you went quickly to his sons. And you're now already in the kind of great-grandchildren -great generation. But, of course, 
as I just read these names, some of you hopefully will recognize the last two. The sons of Eliav and Nemuel were Nemuel, he had a son named Nemuel, and Datan and Aviram. He had three sons, big deal, except that we know who Datan and Aviram were. We know who they were very well. And in this case, we don't have to go, well, often in this class, we go, go searching for where's the Torah making a connection? But in, the, in this case, the Torah does it herself, okay? These are the same Datan and Aviram, well-known in the assembly, who agitated against Moses and Aaron as part of Korach's band when they agitated against the eternal. Adat Korach, the Korach's band, hopefully you were with us three weeks ago when we studied this story, but if you weren't, this is the great rupture in the book of Numbers, the great mutiny, the attempt to overthrow the leadership of Moses and Aaron, and it failed, and when it failed, what happened? Whereupon the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with Korach. When that band died, when the fire consumed the 250 men, and now look, listen to this, and they became an example. Vayula nes. The word nes we usually translate as miracle, but what it means literally is something lifted up. A miracle is something that is raised up so that we notice it, okay? A, a flag can also be called a nes. So they became an a banner, a flag, an example, okay? And then, if that were an interesting enough interruption, and then the sons of Korah, however, did not die. It's like a little afterthought. And the sons of, not afterthought, but just sort of a little extra bit of information that actually is not connected to this tribe's history at all. Okay, I know that's a little complicated what we, we just received, so let me just spell it out once again. The story of Korach is as follows. Vayikach, Korach, Korach assembled to himself a group of people, and the people were Datan and Aviram and On Ben Pellet, who were all Reubenites. Datan and Aviram apparently were the most prominent because the story keeps returning to them, okay? And then there were 250 other men. It, it feels like he had like a gang, you know? 250 men, like, you know, you know, some muscle. Okay, and some of them died in a fiery display as they offered different fires. God chose Aaron's fire over, and, 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 and others, Datan and Aviram in particular, Moses said, if I am not the true leader, let something unnatural happen and let the ground swallow them up. And the ground opens up and swallows them up. It's supernatural, okay? Now, okay, so now we have our question pretty obviously in front of us. What's going on here? Why is the census in the first family telling us, so oh, it's Reuben and Reuben was the patriarch and he had these sons and they came to 43,000. And then, by the way, the second son had this son and this son had three sons and the last two of them died in the famous episode of Korach when the earth swallowed them up alive. And you should know actually that Korach's own children did not die, but they did, right? And then the census just moves on. And now the descendants of Shimon, and there's really nothing unusual about the descendants of Shimon. We're not gonna spend any time on it, but just gets back to the census. So you can see how this bolded part is like a, Oh, time out, I wanna tell you a little story. And it's a story you know. So now the question is, 
Why does the census, this same census which announced itself as after the plague, want to tell us that in the in the first tribe we we can trace the lineage down and get to the great one of the great disasters we've told here in the book of numbers in which two household heads perished in miraculous fashion okay so clear enough what what let's descend any theories on why the census wants to take us there okay uh, i see some hands can i turn to leah leah do you do you uh, do you have thoughts on this yeah, um, it's this is not my thoughts. I read this um, fiery display we've had, and we've had two sets. We've had another set of sons that get killed, and those are Aaron's sons. Their names escape me at the moment. I think the census is very important because um, Pinchas killed a prince, one of the major people, one of the major tribes. Uh, I think it was the tribe of Shimon, the prince of Shimon that he killed, and a Midianite princess. So in order to reposition Pinchas as, the, I believe he's the grandson of Aaron, you need to have resonances of the golden calf, because that's when the first census was taken, and Aaron is very proactive in the thing with the golden calf. And then Pinchas's Yechus, is reestablished because of his connection with Aaron. And what I read was that the spirit of Aaron's sons, the ones that were killed with strange fire, entered Pechas, who was sort of a meek scholarly guy, and he was able to carry out this very decisive action because that he was taken over by these spirits. Okay, okay, okay. Beautiful, Leah. Leah's. Uh tying this story in a lot of interesting ways to another story which you know might take us a little off course but actually actually Leah anticipates something that's 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 that, that's that's coming our way so i was going to save this for the end because in the telling of the census it's actually at the end but i'm going to jump a little bit forward because i i i uh, if, 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 the, if the group if the group seizes on something beforehand let's let's go in the direction that the group is learning so Leah reminds us that we've just the the story of Datan and Avram are two brothers who perished in miraculous fashion because they seem to have upset God in some way and and it's a story of 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 competing fiery uh offerings um, so, so there's lots of, 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 of features of that story that evoke a tragedy that took place a little bit earlier, which we've talked about in this class before, which is the death of another pair of brothers, Nadav and Avihu, the sons of Aaron. Okay, and that happened at the inauguration of the tabernacle. Like they, they leave Egypt, they... they um, they, they, they get to Mount Sinai, they set up the tabernacle, they're, they, they're ready to, to journey with the tabernacle, a first grade offering they make, and then Aaron's sons run forward. In fact, I think I have it on the sheet here. Here's the story. And Aaron now, now Aaron's son, Nandavani Biyu, each took his fire pan, put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and they offered before the eternal alien fire, strange fire, 
which had not been enjoined upon them, and fire came forth from the eternal and consumed them, and thus they died at the instance of the eternal. Okay, now, Leah's right to make that connection. Those, there's another pair of brothers that died, and there does seem to be God is upset with something they did. Well, Leah's not the only one. The Torah also makes that connection. So I, I, I don't usually uh, uh, put an entire chapter as a source on these because it's too much to scroll through, but I want to, you to feel the scrolling here. When the plague was over is in the beginning, in the first tribe we take account of, we get this story of Datan and Aviram. And then let's start scrolling, 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 scrolling. And by the way, we get a full count with all the tribes except for the Levites, that, that holy tribe that has the high priest. And then God says, and now count the Levites. And this is the enrollment of the Levites, of Gershon, of Kohat, of Merari, of Levi, oh, sorry, of, of uh, Hebron, of uh, Machli, of Mushi, of, of uh, um, and this is where Korach's family is. And then one of them gives birth to Amram, and Amram's wife's name was Yocheved, and Yocheved gave birth to Aaron and Moses and Miriam. And to Aaron were born Nadav and Avihu, Elazar and Itamar. Nadav and Avihu died when they offered an alien fire before the eternal. So Leah's exactly right. She anticipates exactly what the census does, which is the same thing when it gets to Aaron's family that it did when it got to Eliab's family. We didn't know it was Eliab. I mean, and maybe we remember that name, but Eliab wasn't a big prominent name. But as soon as we hit the, the tribe of Reuben, we named the great tragedy of their losing of the of their losing these two sons because these two sons did something terribly wrong. All of that feels familiar to Leah. And indeed, the end of the census, once we get to the tribe of Levi, we do the same thing. We we name them, and then all of a sudden we follow a particular branch down to show us how it leads to the tragedy of two brothers dying, right? So now again, we can ask, wait, what's going on here? Why does this census wanna call out particular tragedies that we've seen in the Torah before as it tells its story of who's left after the plague? Okay, so let's, let's continue to hear some responses um, from Kathy and then Ariella. Yeah. Okay, yeah, um, I guess that um, I wanted to follow up on, well, something that Payam raised, which is, uh, or um, partly raised, was that, you know, it does seem that this has something to do with all of these things that whoever, various Israelites have done wrong. I mean, it's not just a plague. I mean, we, it seems to me that it's the cause of the plague that's really critical here. And, and I don't know which screw up the Torah is saying the 24,000 died for, but clearly, you know, the deaths after the golden calf, these deaths, that death, uh, you know, that, that, that it's because of, of things that went wrong. Um, and, and well, you know, sort of sin, I guess. And so, so, um, you know, I know we want to read, I mean, I know that's really difficult because we don't want to read plague as being punishment necessarily. Like, do we think we're being punished now? Um, you know, no, probably, 
well, not exactly. I guess we may be punished for all sorts of environmental things, but, 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 but you know that it's got to go back. There's something about the census that also reminds us of, of that past behavior, uh, and somehow we're supposed. It's obviously it's chaos, but it's but it's actually might be more pointed than that. That's all. Yeah. I'm just raising. Yes, that's that. great. That's great. Thank you, Kathy. That's okay. So let's. Kathy helps us to speak out um, some of the most difficult, but really most important points of reflection here. And as Kathy said, Payam really teed this up for us. All of these deaths that were being highlighted. Here's, here we have a census that presents itself as taking account of mass death. But that mass death and these examples, remember what we said about Tatan and Aviram, they were, they were, they were like an example. These examples, these, these stories that we hold on to, they're all stories of people who did something wrong, mistake, sin. You know, it's a little less clear with Nadav and Aviyu, did they mean to do something wrong? But it, it, it didn't, it didn't work for God. And so, on some level, let's let's do the the kind of and this is Kathy worries this we're, that we won't be comfortable with this because you know because we're not and uh, on some level we have a kind of the basic hardline theology of like and so the message of the plague is you better do what God says or you will die reminder reminder important reminder and maybe yeah if you live in the world of the Torah maybe that's an important rem reminder I must say and I surely am speaking out of my own discomfort with that theology. I, I can't help but look at the at the very the very the very fact of God's response or wrath being named as a plague. That in itself tells us that there's something about there's something being blurred. Um, in, in the line between God's response and natural phenomena. In other words, I do think that the Torah is, the, the, the worldview of the Torah and the, Torah, the worldview of the Torah is training is one in which when we see great catastrophe and calamity, we gotta wonder what we're doing wrong. Gotta wonder what we're doing wrong, right? And, you know, I surely many of us are uncomfortable with uh, because God is angry and God is punishing us. But note that the Torah has already made a metaphor of it. Right? God's anger is like a plague. God, this plague is like God's anger. So the Torah has already made a metaphor of it. And so I, I would invite us all to think about all of those uncontrolled attainable bursts of God's anger that lead to death. Remember that that's what Pinchas checked, stopped, was this sort of juggernaut of God's anger. I do think that, that, that in part what we're dealing with here is the way that the Torah frames constant death catastrophe. Because remember, after all, this is a, this is a perilous desert journey. There are you know, there are many catastrophes that have happened along the way. And so the Torah is trying to make sense of them. The Torah is putting it into the, into the framework of its ongoing relationship with God. 
right? The Torah is suggesting we better be careful. All of those things are true, but there are various forms of that theology that we might contemplate. Um, and Kathy, Kathy opens the door for us uh, to start doing that. Okay. Um, uh, let's, uh, let's hear from Ariella, and then we want to look at one more story before we close. Well, what I'm seeing is like that famous quote, um, if you don't remember history, then you're doomed to repeat it. So like those stories are there highlighted just to remind people like a plague is one thing, but it's like, don't step over that line because you will see the wrath of God. And that's what happens when you're in a, a covenant with God. The fact that there is this responsibility. And if you, you know, step over that line, there are consequences. Okay. All right. So Ariella does this important work, which is to say, okay, where are we so far? We see that the whole plague is taking account of tremendous loss, tremendous loss that came in the wake of, of a society having come undone, right? It's like, it's like, like sexual and idolatrous orgy, like mass craziness, this society is falling apart. And then there's a plague, there's some kind of great great response and there's tremendous loss after that and this plague is taking, taking that into account and then this plague gives us examples of where particular families experience loss at the hands of some great failure some great catastrophe some great chaos and so the the census is asking us to connect the the, the personal tragedies that it's highlighting in particular families and to think about the way we all experience that kind of loss. Everybody in this nation, yes, I'll give you a story or two of the, what it's like when you lose two of your sons, but we are in a moment in this journey where everybody should look at their, take stock of their family because we've been wandering in the desert for 40 years and there is not one family that has not experienced death. Right? So these stories become the stories we tell, but they're really stories about all of us. They're really stories about all of us and all of the tragedy that we have faced along the way. Okay, having said that, we skipped over one story and it actually fits the pattern very well. It's remarkable and it's the strangest appearance in our senses. So remember we have Datan and Aviram, of the tribe of Reuben who were swallowed into earth. Then we saw, we jumped over to the end and we saw, oh, we have Nadav and Abihu who are of the tribe of, of, of Levi and they were consumed by fire. Um, but, we, but there was another mention of, of, of loss, of tragedy. And in fact, another mention of two sons from one family that died. And this is, this is quite remarkable. Okay, so there was Datan and Abiram. This is Reuben, the first tribe. And then we have Shimon, and then we have God, and then we have the sons of Judah. The sons of Judah were Er and Onan. And Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. 
And then the descendants of Judah were, well, Judah, Judah had other sons, Shelah, Perez, and Zerach, or Peretz and Zerach, okay? So Er, Onan, Shelah, Peretz, and Zerach, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. Now, if you know Genesis, you know this story. This is the story of Judah and Tamar. And I'll just show it to you very, very quickly. Judah got a wife for Er, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was displeasing to the Eternal. We don't know exactly why, but he was wicked in the eyes of the Eternal, and the Eternal took his life. And then Judah said to Onan, oh, join your brother's wife and do your duty as a brother-in-law and provide offspring for your brother. You marry this woman now. But Onan, knowing that the offspring would not count as his, let, and this is a little bit of an insertion, let the semen go to waste. It seems that we get the word onanism, you know, masturbation from Onan because there's some idea that he spilled his seed, his seed on the ground. And that wasn't pleasing to God either. And he died also. Okay. So now why? We, 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 we surely, we understand the connection between Datan and Aviram and this census. Because Datan and Amiram, they were just killed a few parshot ago. Surely we understand why that would be the example we would give. And you know what? Nadav and Avihu, who we just looked at, oops, sorry. Nadav and Avihu, Aaron's children, well, that happened at the beginning of the desert journey, at the very beginning. So there's a parallelism there. But these two deaths, once again, two sons, these two deaths, took place in the book of Genesis, long before our story ever got started. And, and yet they are again, a story of, of a man whose two sons died because what they did was displeasing to the eternal. So we have a few minutes left. And this in some ways is being the, the biggest outlier might be the key to the whole, to the whole, the whole problem. So let's try and think for now for a minute about why Judah's two sons get married here in now what we see is a pattern of to the two sons that died, the two sons that died, the two sons that died. So let's start with Marianka. I, I actually uh, want to talk about something else that I was thinking that the 24,000 that you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> we just okay. only have time for this. Okay, sorry, the 24,000 that perished, it doesn't say that they were all wicked right? It's about responsibility. Someone was saying, walk the straight line because otherwise you're going to perish. But I think it's a wider picture. It's not, you're walking the straight line not only for yourself, but for others that can, innocent people that can perish. And right. the two brothers, I think I've mentioned that uh, two weeks ago. Um, I don't know if you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, 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 think I, I think it's important what you're saying now. I think it's important what Sorry. you're saying. Ariella just made the connection between the those who died in the plague and then these examples of people who died for very particular reasons. Marianka wonders whether we aren't meant to, to start to take these deaths, which are so clearly attributable to some kind of sin, and actually stop and wonder whether actually did everybody who died really deserve to die? Is that real? Can we, can we make the case for Nadav and Abihu that they deserve to die? Do we even know what happened back in the story of, of, of Judah and Judah's sons? What did they do that was displeasing? We don't actually always, and the 24,000 at the end of this plague, did they all deserve to die? Were they all committing idolatry? Marianka offers a very, very 
um, intriguing and 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 per, per, and and difficult, you know, uh, problematizing suggestion, which is that maybe these examples are here in part to say, take these various cases of people who died because they did something that was displeasing to God. Do we really understand that? Do we really get the line between doing something wrong and dying? Maybe we don't. Maybe we just have to take account of death as a tragedy in every family, no matter what the cause was, because sometimes it seems like, oh, well, the Tan and Aviram, they got swallowed up by earth. But sometimes we don't know why the fire comes. And sometimes we don't know why the children die. In some ways, we don't know if who died was supposed to have died, right? It's a, a little problematizing that Marianka suggests. Um, Alexandra. This is sort of an alternate uh, view of, or an alternate read to that, which is that there's, um, I think it mentions one, perhaps one reason why it mentions all these deaths within the family lineage of people who are displeasing to God is that there's always the opportunity for rededication and that Korach's sons weren't killed because um, they, there's the opportunity. And within Reuben's family and the story of his sons, it really reminded me of the Hanukkah story, Hanukkah, um, which I think means something like rededication, um, and nace. And, and so the language reminded me very much of, yes, he had two sons who were these troublemakers, but the Reuben lineage, um, there's opportunity in every family for the rededication to God. And there's, so there's always the opportunity for, uh, yeah. Good, right. That's, that, <laughs> is an that is a very important thought for us to be closing with. And then I wanna give the last Thank word to Kate if she has one. Um, but the, but the, that is the impo an important thought for us to be closing with, which is that there is, there are, there are little deep, like there are little side stories here about death, but there are, have also been side stories about those who did not die. The sons of Korach didn't die. And actually, that's the way the census ends. In a, in a, in a kind of a devastating account of, of, of the desert journey that once again, that as, as the census began, so it ended with the theme of death. And take a look at this last line in the census. Go all the way to the end here. We saw that Nadav and Avihu died and then, um, um, these are the males enrolled by Moses and Eleazar the priest who registered the Israelites on the steps of Moab at the Jordan near Jericho. And among these, there was not one of those enrolled by Moses and Aaron the priest when they recorded the Israelites in the wilderness of Sinai. In other words, everybody in the whole nation actually perished from the time of the taking of the first census. For the Eternal had said, they shall die in the wilderness. Remember that the entire generation died out on this journey. And not one of them survived, except for Caleb, son of Yefuna, and Joshua, son of Nun. Now that's interesting, right? Like there are, just like there are two people, two people, two people along the way who died exceptionally. So we have certain, a certain account at the end of two people who actually survived exceptionally in the wake of the final message of the census, which is remember something, the group that arrived here in the land of Canaan is an entirely different group than the group that started out because the truth is nearly everyone died. Nearly everyone died. We've been taking account of exceptional deaths. We've been taking account of the deaths 
that have become like an example to us, the deaths which seem to bespeak some kind of transgression, some kind of response on God's part. But the truth is the census reminds us at the end, this has been a long, hard journey. And actually in the 40 years, an entire generation is overturned. And there is no family that has not suffered, that has not suffered death. Any last word from Kate? Just want to thank you for your kind words. And you know, it just strikes me that we don't know why all of these people died. You know, we don't know, can you, can you displease God? Can you argue with God? And that means results in death. But as you said, everyone died out and, and that is a tragedy. But from that, we grow. <laughs> yeah, right. And I, that's very well said. And I think that that's, that's, that's a, a thought that, that I'm, I'm leaving on. And I'd like us all to meditate on, which is the way in which death is this thing, which sometimes uh, it, it, it feels um, unfair, but always feels tragic, right? And every family will experience death and we will all experience death. And those deaths, which feel particularly um, um, early and those deaths, which, which appear particularly shocking and those deaths, which we remember because they just engrave, the story engraves in our hearts in a certain way, those stick with us, but the truth is they keep us meditating on the fact that, that this, this tragic reality is one we're all always contending with just as, 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 the, as, the, as the flow of, of, human, of, of human history continues. So um, to all those we, we have lost along the way, um, we remember them, we take account of them, right? That's what we, that's, that, if nothing else, that's what we do. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archived classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. 